Today on the Arts Report, we have the Persistence of Vision Festival, Aida, Voyage at Sea, Ism, Books, and a Comic-Con Ticket Giveaway. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Megan. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. You may also be listening to us streaming at citr.ca. Uh, you know, check us out on Twitter, check us out on Facebook, check us out online. We have a packed show with tons of guests, and by tons, I mean two. We have two guests today, and uh, a lot of really fun things to talk about. And what we're going to do is we're going to get to it right away. We are going to be talking to Ty Funk of the Persistence of Vision Festival, which is happening April 27th and 28th at the Empire Granville 7 Cinemas. It's an annual event showcasing short films written, directed, shot, edited, and produced by students at the film production program at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver. And Ty, hello, how are you? I'm doing very good. How are you, Megan? Good, thank you. Now, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Can you let them know a little bit about who you are and what you do for the festival? Of course. Uh, so I'm a fourth-year UBC film production student, and I am one of the chairs of the festival this year. So helping to organize everything, get it running, and promote it. Well, fantastic. Now, um, now you are promoting the festival. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the festival, or tell us a little bit about exactly what it what it is? For sure. Uh, Persistence of Vision is the final grad showcase uh, for the film production. So we have the fourth year and third year films. Uh, it's a festival that's been going on for over 20 years now and just been showcasing a lot of sort of great young talent. And it's really sort of a fun night to go check out film. Okay. And can you uh, describe maybe a couple of the shows or, or films that people might be seeing? Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely everything. There's sort of a wonderful 50s period piece to sort of guys skateboarding at night. There's so many different genres that I think there's really something for everyone. Um, it sort of goes all over the place from comedy to heavy hit and drama. It's a fun night. Oh, fantastic. Now, I'm going to keep saying fantastic a lot because I'm really excited about this. Um, <clears throat> from the website, actually, it says that it was founded in 1989 by director Lynn Stopkowicz, who did like The L Word and Kissed. And uh, they were UBC film production students who created the festival as a way of showcasing work produced in the program over the course of the year, which is pretty much what you just said. And tickets are $12 for each night and can be purchased uh, at povfilmfestival.com. Correct? Correct. And on the uh, Saturday night, there is going to be a very fun after party uh, that I encourage everyone. Also, you know, if you're thinking of the two nights, uh, Saturday we have an awesome after party that's fun to check out, get to know some of your local UBC filmmakers. And also if you want to get involved, it's a great place to meet people. Okay, cool. So if people are interested, like, for example, in the film program and, and what they're interested in doing with that, they can learn a little bit more about what you'll actually wind up with at the end of the four years? Totally, yeah. I think it's, like, such a great sort of showcase of the program, a great chance to just meet people, ask them, or ask them to come out and work on your projects, or get involved with uh, sort of the film industry here in Vancouver. 
Oh, thank you for stopping by and, and plugging the event. CITR is actually sponsoring the event, forgot to mention earlier, and we're very proud to do so, and we're hoping that you guys go and check it out. So it's April 27th and 28th at the Empire Granville 7 Cinemas, the Persistence of Vision Film Festival, and that's an annual event, so please try to get to it this year and every year, and CITR is uh, very proud to help uh, sponsor the event. Okay, Ty. Well, um, Ty is going to take off because I know he's a very busy young lad. And we are actually going to move to our books section. So, um, Ty, I'm going to let you escape. And thank, thank you, you very much for uh, coming by and thank you too. giving us the information. Cheers. Okay. Here's a little something for you guys at home. Books, books, books. <laughs> I love the books theme song. Books. So I've got a couple of reviews for you guys today of some books I've read recently and a couple of announcements of some fun literary events that are happening. We have uh, two books on the show today, Malarkey by Annika uh, Schofield and The Measure of a Man by J.J. Lee. So Malarkey by Annika Schofield is set in Ireland. And it's the story of an Irish mother who is forced to look grief in the eye, according to the back of the page. Uh, she comes face to face with longing and uh, her gay son who goes to the army. She has a husband who is slowly retreating from her emotionally. And quite frankly, she is going mad. It's a really poignant, funny book. Very dark. And one of the things I enjoyed about it is that as the character moves through the story, you really start to get a fuller and fuller sense of how the world is looking at her. Um, the point of view in the book shifts from third person to from to first person in a way that uh, sometimes will slip up a little bit. You'll uh, be looking from the outside and then the inside, and, and the, the difference is often quite stark. Um they refer to the main character as our woman and it's a very stylized book it's not always 100% successful but one of the things I really enjoyed about it is it really creates its own set of style uh, tropes that it reuses throughout the the novel and you do get a sense of what it's like for a small town Irish farmer's wife who is both extremely self-sufficient and strong while uh, at the exact same time, in kind of an oxymoron way, completely dependent um, for her purpose on her husband and her son. And her son comes out, or rather he allows her to find out that he's gay, and she becomes obsessed with the acts that she caught him performing. And it's not in a sexual way, even though there is a lot of sexual exploration in the novel, but rather the passion that he she sees him um, participate in with these young boys uh, is something that she doesn't really understand. And it's a way she comes into herself and she starts to learn more about herself while at the same time she's obviously breaking with reality. And she, you know, she has these relationships. She runs into a woman that her husband is sleeping with and that 
is even more intriguing to her. She wants to know about what they do, and she tries to recreate these things. So um, it's a it's a dark, moving, funny book with uh, a disjointed sense of time. So you kind of have to pick up the pieces, much like she's picking up the pieces. And so I love it when a book or a piece of writing really uses form to express the content. And so I would very much recommend this if you're interested at all in anything from gender, queer theory, uh, or just the idea of a really well-written book that really uh, uses writing in a unique and I think very fresh way. So that's Malarkey. Uh, It was recently launched, so it should be in bookstores all over town. And then I also recently read The Measure of a Man. I loved Measure of a Man. I flew through it. It's by J.J. Lee, and it is published by Stuart McClellan. Um, And I'm sorry, Malarkey is published by Biblio Oasis. So Measure of a Man, uh, McClellan Stewart, J.J. Lee, uh, he is a essayist, a fashion writer, a columnist uh, locally, and it showcases Vancouver and Montreal. And it's the story of, it's a memoir, so it's kind of creative nonfiction slash memoir, and it really does uh, encapsulate Uh, his thoughts on masculinity, on the father-son relationship, on his movement through life, discovering what his passions are, all through the idea of the suit. His father's suit sits in his closet. It's not his father's best suit or his most well-worn suit or his uh, most stylish suit, but he decides that he is going to use his newly found tailoring skills, which he learned from being an apprentice at Modernized Tailors, which still operates in Vancouver. And throughout this process of altering the suit to fit him, he talks about the history of menswear, the history of the suit, what a suit means in society, everything from power to sexuality. And he really encapsulates this idea of the father-son relationship and uh, the story of his father and his family. And it really does project this masculinity both in the writing and the content and you get this insider's perspective of a relationship which always feels delicious when you're reading it as i said uh, the writing is excellent it's it's very tight and it's not necessarily uh, as form formalized as malarkey it doesn't have its own specific form but some of the sentences some of the phrasing was so excellent that i actually was reading it out loud to people saying how good is this sentence now um only book lovers and English majors in the audience, I'm sure, will really appreciate what that really means. But uh, kudos to J.J. Lee on his exceptional prose. And if you're the type of reader that I am where I like to learn a little something along with being entertained, very into creative nonfiction lately, um, I would definitely, definitely check this out. Uh, Measure of a Man by J.J. Lee, the story of a father, a son, and a suit. And that is... Uh, McClellan Stewart, I believe. Yes, McClellan and Stewart. And again, that is actually um, part of the book prize, uh, BC Book Prizes. It's on the short list. And I will be attending uh, or trying my best to attend the BC Book Prize Soiree, uh, April 24th, 6 p.m. at the World Art Studio, Gold Corp Center for the Arts at SFU Woodward. So it's just on West Hastings Street. 
And uh, you can check out uh, more events, um, bcbookprizes.com. And, uh, yeah, you know, read up on uh, Measure of a Man. Check out Malarkey. Those are some excellent local recent releases. Um, A couple of other books-related events that are coming up. We have the Vancouver International Poetry Festival. It's from April 23rd to 28th, um, vancouverpoetryfestival.com. It's the second annual uh, international festival. Um, It's Contemporary Cutting Edge Spoken Word Celebration. So from the website, when people are first exposed to Poetry Slam, they think that it that's the be-all and end-all of performance poetry. And this festival is going to show people that's not the case. From spoken word plays to talk rock poetry, this festival is going to show people where spoken word has been and where it's going. That's Sean McGargle, Artistic Director. Uh, it's a program of the Vancouver Poetry House. As I said, it's April 23rd to 28th. There's a couple of uh, events involved that I'm interested in. Maybe you will be as well. At Café du Soleil on April 27th, there's a Canadian Individual Slam Championship Last Chance Slam, 7.30. It's about 10 bucks. And if you didn't get a chance to register for the Poetry Slam Championship that will be happening uh, at the end of the festival, please do show up. There are 12 spots available. It's your last opportunity. The top five highest scoring poets in the first round move to the second round. The highest scoring poet in the second round is entered into the Canadian Individual Slam Championship. It's also uh, Poet's Delight at Eternal Abundance on Commercial Drive at 11 p.m. So you can head on over after the, uh, the Last Chance Slam. And this is not a competition but a showcase of performance poetry innovation. And uh, on Wednesday morning, all the poets will be given a prompt. And then they'll all have to do a piece that day. So um, I love that kind of impromptu, really heartfelt writing that hasn't been worked over excessively. So that is uh, at uh, Eternal Abundance around uh, 11 o'clock. The show starts, it's only five bucks. And then we also have uh, the annual Haiku Deathmatch, which I have no idea about, but it looks amazing. Also at Eternal Abundance. And 16 Haikusters, their words, are doing battle and the winners are getting some amazing prizes. Uh, incoming van slam mistress just Jessica Mason Paul uh, will be doing a reading of the day of. So do uh, bring your voice as well because it is audience participation. And then um, on the and those that's on April twenty eighth. Also on April twenty eighth, the Canadian Individual Poetry Slam finals, as I mentioned. So those are uh, fifteen bucks at the door, and that will be the. Finals of the three-round Poetry Slam and the ten best poets um, will swear off. And at the end of the night, one of them is going to win a thousand bucks and the title of Canadian Poetry Slam champion. So you can find out more at VancouverPoetryFestival.com, 23rd to the 28th. Uh, another, uh, speaking of slam poetry, we have Shane Koizuken and the short story Long will be performing. Um, not part of the festival per se, but I thought I'd mention it Uh they are going to be, uh, I believe, at the, the Vogue on the 21st. And basically, it's experimental acoustic folk music by the short story Long. Um, and it's Shane's uh, subdued poetry to power chord hip-hop. I don't even know what that means. Um, and I'm very excited to find out. Uh, Shane's third book, Our Death Buds Will Be Thirsty, was released in 2012. And they actually, uh, these guys, the short story Long and Shane, have a, uh, an album out, Remembrance Year. So do check that out. Also tonight is Sewa. We talked about it a couple weeks ago at the Cottage Bistro. And that is 
um, Sarah Bino and, and readings by Eric Fell, Caitlin Howden, Teddy Kellogg, uh, our own Cabaret Radio, Teddy, and Taz Van Rossell. So they will be reading some of their worst, uh, reading out some of the worst reading they've ever read. And that's uh, 10 bucks at the door, cash only. Okay, so we are going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we are going to get a little bit of break from my voice. And we are going to talk to Sarah Lapsley, who recently attended a, um, a sh- uh, art showcase voyage at sea. And we'll have an interview from her. But what I want you to do is get your fingers dialing 604-822-2487 because we have two free tickets to the Comic-Con Hollywood North Fan Expo. Um, It is April 21st to 22nd. We are looking at some Star Trek stuff, some True Blood stuff. You know, basically, if you want to nerd it out, just go geek crazy. You've got... um, Adam West and Burt Ward, uh, Kevin Sorbo and Lou Ferrigno, anyone you've ever seen in some sort of comic book-related event, uh, Nicholas Brendan, who's Xander from Buffy, and Worf and Q from Star Trek. I am really noting what I like by pulling these names out. So if you'd like to know a little bit about me, you now know what kind of nerddom I invest in. So please give us a call at 604 822-2487. I am going to go uh, to commercial, open the phone lines, and we will talk to you again in a few minutes. I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the beta band. Do it. CITR 101.9 FM and Discorder Magazine are proud to present Record Store Day 2012, Saturday, April 21st at Scratch Records. Bands will rock out from noon until midnight at the Interurban Gallery. This event is free all ages. Still has a full-service bar, not to mention the live music and cheap records. It's Record Store Day at Scratch Records and the Interurban Gallery, April 21st. Proudly sponsored by CITR. Who is that? The beta band. It's good. I know. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Flaming Angels Boutique, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, RX Comics, Temple of the Modern Girl, and The Wallflower Modern Diner. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. We have some quick dialers in our audience. Uh, We just had someone pick up uh, two free tickets, and I will be getting their name and number in a moment. But first, Sarah, hello. Hi, Megan. This is Sarah Lapsley. She's an arts contributor, uh, and we're very excited to have her because she is going to tell us a little bit about Voyage at Sea, which is at the Charles H. Scott Gallery, I believe. Um, do you want to, to give us a little bit of background uh, about this uh, seaworthy art exhibit? Mm-hmm. So, like you said, it's at the Charles H. Scott Gallery, and the show is called The Voyage, or Three Years at Sea, Part 3. So it features um, artist Dorothy Cross, 
David Zink Yee, Fiona Bowie, Sonia Headstrand, Troy Morgan, Terry Kirby, Zara Pritchard, and the Laboratory of Marine Obscuriosities and Spectaculars. Um, so this show is one in a multi-part series of installations about the sea, and previously on the Arts Report we um, did features on part one and two. So part one featured the British artist Tacita Dean and our hometown art star Rodney Graham, and the focus of the show was lighthouses. Um, part two was on the theme of shipwrecks, and it had some really stunning large-scale works depicting Shackleton's failed expedition to Antarctica and the loss of his ship, Endurance. So for part three, the show goes under the sea and it features a wide range of mediums, like video installations, paintings, photographs from electron microscopes and sculptures. Um, so I spoke with Kate Rimmer, she's the curator of the show, and we began by talking about the motif of the feminine form that was prevalent in the exhibition. So. I'm still new to CITR, so be warned in the first minute. There are some auxiliary noises. I was joking after I finished taping that this interview sounds like it was recorded under the sea. <laughs> well, you know, we are a learning institution at CITR 101.9, and I'm sure that uh, our audience is just going to be excited to hear a lot about this uh, really great event. So, uh, And you, uh, you started out by talking about, as you said, the theme of women under the sea. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's see what happens. Well, I sort of, again, I was sort of thinking about how an awful lot of the sort of narratives of the sea are um, definitely kind of male-dominated. Uh, um, and so kind of just it occurred to me in some of the work that I was looking at that there was this very kind of strong uh, uh, sort of female element. Um, you know, the, the Dorothy Cross piece that's her swimming with the jellyfish. Um, and, but then also in doing my research, I was looking at um, Japanese ama, the women that dive, um, sort of free dive for uh, abalone and seaweed. And, and I mean, that's just this, uh, an incredibly fascinating tradition. So, you know, just sort of one thing built on uh, on another. And um, I sort of realized that it was this lovely kind of uh, female-dominated uh, series, really. Yeah. yeah, this idea of the unconscious or the mysterious and yeah. the sort of feminine. And there was the um, the female diver as well, like a photo of her from the 60s. Yeah, that's right. Because there's, you know, there's, there's sort of two interesting periods when you look at um, some of the literature and, and all of that, representations of underwater. And one of them is sort of the point late 1700s through to, you know, the the beginning, I guess, of the 20th century, where um, where all of a sudden there's like this possibility of going down underwater. And at the very beginning, it's, it's all this kind of realm of, of science fiction and fantasy. So you get, you know, 20,000 leagues under the sea and, and, and just these kind of representations of what would be uh, under the water. And then another period is in the sort of 50s and 60s, where you get people like Jacques Cousteau, um, where there's another kind of um, I guess effort to uh, explore the water with this idea that we would be living under the water by now and all of this sort of thing. So they started to do a lot of um, experiments of keeping people for a number of uh, days under, um, you know, sort of in these pods under under the water. Um, and so one of them was uh, all of these uh, women divers that were living under there for I think it was ten days in Sea Lab and sort of doing experiments and all of that. And that uh, that one image is from that. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. You were sort of talking about 
the time, how we've, you know, our views have changed. And I like the sort of scope of time in the show where there's sort of these lithographs from 1814. Right. And then it moves forward through these different mediums, um, like to electron microscopes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that's the other, you know, there's, we think about all the sea creatures as, you know, we have a, we have a good understanding now of the sort of, you know, um, whales, for example, and our need to, to be sensitive to them and, and all of that. But there's these incredibly microscopic um, uh, organisms that we don't even consider that are kind of living between the grains of sand that are equally important to the whole system. And um, so it was kind of really nice to be able to um, represent them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was interested in the film with the, the radio relay Yes. Um, so is that a camera that's ongoing? Yeah, so that's um, Fiona Bowie, and um, um, that piece, it was, it, it was originally, I guess it was started um, as one of the sort of Olympic um, projects in 2010, and the camera was um, put on the bottom of the little aquabus going back and forth, and it was this kind of way of... of um, I guess documenting the, all the, the creatures that are now coming back to um, False Creek, and um, so now it, it it actually got moved then to the um, uh, what do they call the um, um, uh, you know the pylons or whatever that are um, off of ocean concrete, and so they're they're actually on those big wooden things underwater there, so that the camera's going to be static there. Um, and so right now they're, they've been doing some renovations um, to it. So it's, I think this month it's actually going live again. So you can actually go onto her website and just watch it as a, as a webcam all the time. Um, and so the piece that we've got here is kind of a, uh, a representation of, of, the, of the project and the things that um, you'll see. So at, because it's a radio frequency, at times the image kind of freezes, and that's because a, a ship is... Uh, a boat would be breaking that signal just sort of momentarily. But it's quite lovely because it's kind of mesmerizing. It, it sort of swirls around. You really get a sense of the currents and the movement. Um, but it feels like it, it could almost be space or something that you're looking at. But then every once in a while you get these lovely little sort of like little sticklebacks and things like that that come and, and hang around in front of the camera for, for a few moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it had that sense of ongoing time. Yeah, exactly. That it's... It's something that never ends, or this yeah. sort of eternal nature of exactly. the sea. Exactly, and it's very mesmerizing, yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked those paintings, too, um, on leather. Oh, Zar Pritchard. He was quite a character. I was so thrilled when I sort of discovered him. So he was this really funny guy who, um, I think he died in the 1950s, and he um, was originally from uh, Britain, and he started to sort of dive off of the coast of Scotland as a, as a young man, and he would dive down and, and sort of look around and then come up really quickly and, and draw, uh, you know, grab his, his, his pencils and draw what he had seen. But soon that just kind of didn't feel like it, it was enough for him, so he started to actually dive in a diving suit and um, paint underwater. And it got to the point where that's sort of how he, de- he dedicated the rest of his life to roaming the world and doing this. And he would um, actually set up an easel and um, found the painting on leather in oils, uh, you know, worked so that he could paint underwater. And, you know, if the currents were, were calm, you know, if he was in a, 
a bay or something like that. He would actually kind of leave his easel, go up for lunch, come back down again, keep painting. He was quite a character. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, they were almost kind of like Emily Carr. Very much so, yeah. When I first opened up, the, I mean, I had seen them um, in the, in the you know, in the... Uh, illustrated when I was selecting the works, but when I opened up the box and saw this one, it was like, oh my God, it's like Emily, underwater Emily Carr. Underwater Emily Carr. That's, that's kind of, that almost looks underwater already to begin with, so I can't imagine uh, how, <laughs> how it looks. Yeah. So that was Kate Rimmer, and she's the curator of the Voyage or Three Years at Sea Part three um at the charles h scott gallery in in the interview she used the word mesmerizing and i think that's the perfect word which captures the whole exhibition um because my experience of going through was this feeling of being soothed or lulled or drawn into this magical and mysterious world under the water i really like the dorothy cross um a film she mentioned where it's this woman a naked woman floating in the water and her hair's floating she looks like a corpse and she's sort of surrounded by these ghostly jellyfish um and it's really kind of haunting um so the exhibition's being held over until april 29th you have 11 days left to see it it's at the charles h scott gallery on granville island 1399 johnson street vancouver and the website um is chscott.ecuad.ca so there's going to be another three parts to this series so i hope to cover those as well as a correspondent for the arts report and thanks for having me on megan oh yeah we look forward to it uh you know it's uh, i'll have to say to all those people out there it's really hard to cover visual arts um i would put it harder than dance so uh, we really appreciate you um bringing us that because i know i find it almost impossible <laughs> to cover visual arts so i'm glad i have a couple of uh uh, art history and, and visual arts enthusiasts to help me with that. Um, so, you know, we actually have a, another interview from Adam Janusz this week. Um, it's funny because you can never leave CITR. You want to stick around because it's such a fun place. Um, and what we're going to be talking about, or what he is going to be talking about, rather, is the Vancouver Opera's AIDA. They are finishing off their season with Verdi's Aida about an Ethiopian princess who is kidnapped and sent to Egypt, where she falls in love with a military commander, Rajamis, who must then choose between his love for Aida and his loyalty to the pharaoh. Melada Koldi plays the title role of Aida, and arts report correspondent Adam Janusz spoke to her via telephone about the challenges of playing the role, including the technical challenge of pulling the long high C notes written by Verdi. But first, here is uh, Mlada talking about the Ethiopian princess Aida. Well, you have to perform the character who is um, actually the real princess in this cast, and she knows that she remembers that she is a princess, uh, but she has to cover it. She has to hide it and um, be nice and you know behaving herself uh, almost between the servant and uh, some kind of a <clears throat> companion for the royal for the royalty in power. Mm-hmm. And she knows that they are enemies of her country. But however, she already has some friends, some pre, uh, some preference already living here. So it's all it's kind of a very uh, 
a lot of uh, pastel tones in um, her mood changes. Mm -hmm. And uh, you better be able to show it with the voice colors. So Aida is the character of the many voice colors. Sometimes uh, some people even say that the first half of the opera and the second half of the opera were written like for two different people. Wow. Two different type of voices. Um, because the first part is very dramatic, very powerful. She is still sort of fighting for her love, for her for esteem. After the triumphal scene, she's absolutely, she has nothing else to expect in this particular place. So she is not like, a, I wouldn't say that she is broken, but, uh, well, she's desperate. And she, now she's seeking for uh, some lost answers from her lover, and uh, she is between two choices to escape away from this uh, behaved situation, behaved country, or just to die. So she is, um, uh, it's clear she is pretty ready for suicide. Right. If something will go wrong. And, and for you, is that, as a performer, was that the hardest part, is these, these colors, is to, is to change so sharply, or was that easy for you? <clears throat> well, yes, you know, when uh, you are mostly uh, performing the very powerful characters. It's like, you know, um, most of my characters, uh, the people say you have to, you should have the gun machine voice <laughs> cut through the orchestra. <laughs> in Aida, we're using this gun machine probably only in the big scenes. Okay. But uh, after the intermission, when the Nile scene coming up and the very end, it's almost like it's, you're seeking for the pretty close to the chamber voice. It's so uh, light. It's, it has to be so gentle and uh, fragile, like uh, little, you know, little vibrance of the uh, summer night air hmm. in the south. And if uh, if the singer can develop this two different contrasting sides of her character that this is probably the uh, <clears throat> the general goal mm -hmm. the general key to open the secret of this whole uh, character this role hmm. to perform uh, also we would say we would mention that there are a few high seas which are always uh, you know pretty much expected uh, especially the um, real melomans who know the opera, they are they know where it's coming, mm -hmm. and they're kind of you know preparing their attention specifically to uh, listen. Is it perfect enough? Is it beautiful enough? Is it enough of feel the voce or whatever? Mm -hmm. So you better be in a hundred percent shape right. to be able to behold this. High seas, specifically in Verdi, in this opera, he gives her uh, the low notes on this high seas. Okay. It's not just like you just uh, piercing it, oh, mm -hmm. like a little uh, in staccato something. You know, sometimes people can be flying and just do it fast and 
immediately gone back mm-hmm. down. Here it's not happening. It, 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 it is impossible because there are no options right. to escape from this high note. <laughs> There's you have no to escape. hold it certain amount of time, certain amount of bars. Okay. Yes. So you have to make sure it is it is this just right. This is all right. about Verdi, yes. Uh, sometimes he's not designing the high notes for the tenors and baritones. In some operas, yeah. these uh, famous high notes are added. It's uh, ad libitum, it's somebody's improvisation right. to, you know, to, in their opinion, they're making the score more colorful. Verdi was always precisely particular. Right. He designed all these high notes by himself. I thought you were going to say that uh, Verdi didn't design it for for humans. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I know quite a few singers who are developing his score pretty great, yeah, almost close to perfection. And these kind of singers I'm following as uh, the role examples. Yeah. That's great. Well, we have run out of time, uh, uh, but thank you so much for, for taking a few minutes to, to tell us about uh, your work here, and uh, mm-hmm. I hope you, you can uh, enjoy those long C notes <laughs> as much, <laughs> as, much as the audience will enjoy them. Uh, thank you. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you very much. And that was Adam Yanush speaking to... Uh, Aida, or uh, otherwise known as, a.k.a. Uh, Malada uh, Kudoli. And Aida will be on stage for six performances only, April 21st to May 3rd, so it's starting this weekend, at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. Opening night is Saturday, uh, April 21st, and uh, they have subsequent performances on April 24th, 28th, 1st, and 3rd. Uh, show begins at 7.30, as is the norm for opera and uh tickets are available at vancouveropera.ca so just just from the vancouver opera center so don't don't be trying to do any ticket master with this this is high class situation you have to go to the opera website and the only experience i have with aida was when i saw at the vso um simone nina simone's daughter uh played aida at one point and she sang a song from that and it is it's a beautifully moving play and it's also been used um in many ways to you know it exemplifies this kind of class and race combination it's a romeo and juliet style show um but i mean everything's romeo and juliet style show because shakespeare was a total plagiarist um but uh no it's it's very moving and uh if you're thinking opera i, I would think I wonder if I'm going out on a limb to call it an accessible opera. Um, not musically, as they discussed, but definitely in terms of, of the story and following the story. So um, that's a, a beautiful, beautiful show that will be April 24th to May 3rd at the Queen E. Now, another show that's coming up that I'm very excited with uh, about that I'll be coming, I'll be seeing the opening next week so I can bring you uh, a little bit more. But uh, Ism, performed by B-Boy Ism is coming to the Colch April 24th to 29th, so next starting next week. It is, um, B-Boyism is a troupe uh, run and led by Yvonne Soglo, uh, a.k.a. Crazy Smooth, 
originally from Benin, and he's uh, going to be performing um, at the Cultures Historical Theatre. And it is a Canadian dance company bringing urban culture street dance to the stage. It is their first um, performing arts style performance. They are, of course, street dancers. And it actually uh, features 10 of the country's most talented dancers. So um, if you're into hip-hop or dance at all, you might be familiar with some of these names. So we have uh, Crazy Smooth, obviously. We have Boric, Chili, Melly Mel, Lost Child, Dirty D, NOSB, Strife, Zeppo Rock, and Soul Step. Uh, the performance features music mixed by DP1 and lighting design by Valerie Gomes. And um, I only mention lighting design as much because uh, when you have these uh, these style performances, it's it's very important. Um, what's interesting about this is that, and we'll talk about this more next week, but Crazy Smooth is actually the official ambassador for International Dance Day, which will be coming up uh, on the 29th. And... I think that that tells you something about hip-hop and street dance. Um, The goal of International Dance Day is to celebrate, and the message is to celebrate dance, to revel in the universality of this art form, to cross all political, cultural, and ethnic barriers, and bring people together through the common language of dance. Now, B-Boyism, their motto is dance to express, not impress. And so I spoke to Crazy Smooth a little bit about what this motto meant and what b-boyism really is. And uh, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that. And then next week, we'll talk to him a little bit more about International Dance Day. Enjoy. Well, you have to... Oh, Aida doesn't know anything about hip-hop. What was I even doing? She may well, but Crazy Smooth can probably speak to it better. So here's Crazy Smooth talking uh, about... uh, Dance to express, not impress, and b-boyism. Um, that is the, the motto and part of the mandate of the company. Um, so b-boyism is a, a, a dance company, and um, having that in our uh, in our mandate, I think that's what makes us very unique. Um, and the approach that we have in every activity that we do, whether it's from teaching classes, uh, history lessons on on hip hop. Um, the works like that we present, so the art pieces, we always apply our mandate. You know, that's what is the core of, of what we do. So, and when we say dance to express, not to impress, what it really means is to have expression as the first motivation to, 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 to dance or to do whatever it is that we're doing. And that really, if we express ourselves truly and, and honestly, it's always going to be impressive. You know, when it's the other way around, and, and you, you have this a lot, in, especially nowadays in dance, where the first objective is to impress the crowd, and we're not saying that it's a bad thing, but as an artist, if that's your first objective, then it's hard to kind of separate you from, from the next person, because at some point somebody's going to do a flip higher than you, or somebody's going to do like whatever you're doing at a, a higher level. You know, and that's just the evolution of things. So, as an artist, the expression is is the base, you know, uh, of, of of everything for us. Would it be fair to say that hip hop and b boys, various um, arts that have come out of hip hop, have obviously always been 
an amazing social force. It seems like every year there are just more people in the spotlight doing amazing things with hip-hop, socially relevant, critical things, and yeah, it's yeah. really taken on a, a general level of respect in the mainstream. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree. I don't necessarily agree of, of, about it uh, getting the, the respect at, at this point. The commercial side and the gangster rap and that negative image that's generally associated to, to hip-hop is still there. What gets the press is not always the, the right things. Now, as a, somebody that's thoroughly part of the hip-hop culture since a young age, you know, there's good and there's bad. And I can't deny that there's some negative stuff now. From its inception, it's always been social gathering, uh, something that, that gets people, you know, mobilizes people to, to, to share in, in positivity. But um, it, it all, it, it's not always been at the forefront of things in terms of media, you know. So even for us as a dance company, we still walk in places and people don't necessarily look at us as uh, professional dancers or you know, they see all oh, these guys again. They're they're gonna come and rap on stage and talk about <laughs> guns, and we still get that. Could you tell me a little bit about the upcoming show, Ism? Ism is the first full-length piece that that the B-Boyism Dance has presented in a performing arts setting. So it's a 60-minute piece. The piece um, definitely goes into every aspect of the culture in a way that I don't think has been done before specifically because there hasn't been street dance companies coming to the performing arts world um, in that way so most of the time when you will see street dance it will be either through a company that is fusion based it will be through a company that I don't know has for instance I know Sole has this a lot where they will hire street dancers or different type of urban dancers and they have little cameos or little solos in um, in the show but ISM and B-Boyism the company we are, are an authentic street dance company so we don't water anything down um, and we're stepping into the performing arts world with our first full length piece um, entitled ISM that really shows the same level of professionalism um, the substance behind every movement, every choreography, every theme is very profound and compelling. So the show um, is, 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 is a is a show that um, will touch uh, people's hearts, and and, and um, it's a good show for anybody. So the way I created the show, I, I did have in mind that whether you were uh, uh, an art goer and then you're used to going to the to the theater. To see performing arts, whether you're somebody that's never seen dance, let alone um, street dance, like in a performing arts setting, um, you know, whether you're a b-boy or a b-girl, um, and you're in hip-hop culture, um, everybody will leave the show with something. Um, the show, um, b-boyism and, and ism, the show is a show that uh, is, like I said, compelling, and it, it the, the bar is set quite high. Um, from the get-go, um, the piece, the way I created the piece, I wanted it to be um, challenging um, intellectually for for everybody. So I wanted to raise the bar so people in the audience had to work a little bit, you know, set the bar high and create something that was very um, artistically challenging, you know, and I wanted also 
for for people to to kind of you know if some people anyway like to be left with a question mark sometimes or to make people really think or rethink what they thought um you know the hip-hop or, or street dances um was so so ism is a show that that has all of that it's a roller coaster of emotions it's um it's a really good show <laughs> are you a self-taught dancer yes yes i am i'm part of the the, the, the generation, one of the last generations, <laughs> not learned from YouTube. Is the essence of self-teaching still there? In my company, that is reflected too, because I would be taking away from from your ism if I showed you how to do everything. You know, mm-hmm. part of part of it is really for you to, like everybody else, like in hip hop culture, is to learn the basics, the same basics that I know that somebody from New York knows, somebody from China knows, the same foundation. And then what are you going to do with it, you know? So I teach you these basics, and next time I come, well, you've practiced and you've done stuff and you've created things. So what you create will be influenced by your environment, so your cultural background, your um, what you go through every day, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the part of self-teaching yourself, um, <clears throat> I think it only dies in the, in the, the hip-hop Studios where people just stand in front of the mirror the whole time and learn simply choreography. Thank you, Crazy Smooth. Um, we were gonna we're gonna hear a lot more from him next week um, about International Dance Day or a little bit more, and I'll talk a little bit more about International Dance Day um, and we'll play play his official message. You can uh, check out more information at uh, www.bboyism.ca about the actual troupe. Um, and then just go to thecolch.com, buy some tickets, like 16 bucks, um, April 24th to 29th. And as you heard, it is a event not just for the amazing dancing, but also for, you know, the critically minded. It, it talks a little bit through movement about what hip-hop is, what b-boy culture is, and where it's going and what it could be. And I am always interested in any piece of art that explores itself. Um, I, I like a good meta. What am I going to say? I can't say anything other than that. Um, I am going to take a quick break, and then we will be right back to wrap up the show. Now, the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. Join me, your host, Andy Longhurst, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. for The City, an hour dedicated to critical discussions of urban issues. On CITR 101.9 FM and streaming live at citr.ca. For more information, visit the show's website at thecityfm.wordpress.com. Artists in Our Midst welcomes their 20th anniversary by inviting the public to join them for two popular art events this spring. Event 1 is a free Roundhouse exhibit and birthday party on May 16th. One day only at the Roundhouse Community Centre at 181 Roundhouse Muse in Yaletown. There will be an artist reception from 7 to 10 p.m. And don't miss out on the birthday cake bash at 8. Following up the birthday bash, there will be a free open studios walk on May 19th through the 21st. Studios will be open from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And to see participating artists and a map, visit the website at artistsinourmidst.com. 
Okay, artists in our midst. It looks like a really fun event, and so I would check that out online. And I also played the promo for the city, and I love a good critical spoken word show. I think we can all understand why. Also, there's a really cool series of talks starting um, that I can give you some more information about next week because I don't have it up in front of me. But uh, it starts with State of the Arts, and it's going to be Contemporary Cities Talk. And I believe it's at SFU Woodwards, um, but don't quote me on that. So check that out. Just Google State of the Arts, you'll find it. And so that's something that's really interesting. Um, you know, we have a we have a few minutes left. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about my week, and I know Sarah's doing something interesting tonight. So we'll wrap up by talking a little bit about that. Um, I actually saw our, our former arts director Adam Yanusha's Closer Variations on the weekend. We had an interview with him last week, and. Um, you know, it was really interesting. Um, not often do you have a chance to really interact with the play. Um, I didn't necessarily love every interact, every variation, and they, they were various levels of successful. But I don't think success was really the point. The point was to try some things out that they may or may not, I guess, use in the in the full production in November. But to get feedback about the way they characterize the vocabulary. The little things they threw in, what was what added to the play, what took away from the play, and it was so gratifying. I don't know whether you've ever walked away from something, and obviously you're you're talking to your your theater going partner or your friends about what you liked and disliked, and don't you ever wish that you could have just talked to the director? <laughs> don't you just wish you could have said why did you do this or or why did you do this? I really want to know what the motivation was because that will sometimes highlight um, different things for you once you know. So um, please check out, uh, if you're in Coquitlam right now, uh, there will be a show this weekend. You can check that out. Um, You can just Google it, Closer Variations. Uh, I believe you can get tickets on Eventbrite. And then they'll be doing the full play, the original Closer, um, in November, I believe. And uh, note to those guys... Either choose the British accents or don't use the British vocabulary. It was mad distracting. Um, Sarah, you said you were you're going to go see a movie tonight. What were you going to see at uh, Pacific Cinematheque? Yeah, it's called Titicus Follies, um, and it's part of a series they have every month on Wednesdays, sort of showing mental health related films, and then they're moderated by psychiatrists, usually from UBC. And there's a discussion after. So this um, is a documentary film. It's quite famous and historical. Um, the director Frederick Wiseman um, went in and filmed in the state prison for the criminally insane in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. So um, the footage was so stark and abusive that the film ended up being banned. Um, and so the, the, the film was abusive in terms of when they did the, the film, they filmed abuse or they actually perpetrated abuse or um, showcased yeah, it? it? Well, it, I mean, I think it's apparently really shocking um, what they showed about how the guards treated the inmates. um, And it really sort of, well, drew attention to poor conditions in in that these psychiatric patients received. So it ended up being banned until 
I see a couple of different dates, 1987 or 1982, they did allow um, sort of academic audiences to watch it. So it's a great opportunity to see it. Um, but it's generated a lot of sort of conversation about um, if this film had been out there, would we have moved as a society to kind of um, decentralize these kind of institutions mm -hmm. sooner? Um, it's definitely been a move to, you know, to move people out of these kind of hospitals. Yeah. Um, Though oftentimes that's done by just letting people out, which is not always sometimes people need. Mm -hmm. But obviously uh, no one needs no one needs any type of health that involves uh, abuse. So, yeah. So that's uh, tonight at Pacific Cinematheque. Um, <laughs> and then uh, another thing I forgot to mention, but actually looks really interesting. Um, speaking of opera. Uh, running from April 19th to 29th at the Center of the Arts at uh, SFU, Gold Corp Center for the Arts. Um, it will be Love in Public by local composer um, and contemporary arts professor David McIntyre. He's blended music, poetry, and theater uh, for Love in Public, and it is an opera cabaret production directed by Peter Jorgensen, who is a rising star in Vancouver's musical theater scene. It's actually uh, based on the Sonnets from the Portuguese, a 19th century sonnet collection by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who I very much enjoy. And uh, 44 interpreted songs and a piano-driven score. So that looks really interesting. Um, they mention, you know, Browning was loving in public long before the age of technology. I love it when any... Um, like PR, they're like, try to tie it to technology somehow so that it sounds interesting. It sounds interesting anyway. Go check it out. Um, he's been chronicling his preparation, uh, a pair of blogs um, on the SFU Vancouver website. So, I don't know. It looks like an interesting thing. We were trying to get, uh, didn't wind up getting any coverage for it for the Arts Report. But, you know, if you're interested in uh, musical theater in a way that's not straight up a musical, and you like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, that might be something that's interesting to you. So matinees at 2 p.m., shows at 8, uh, April 19th to 29th at the Gold Corp uh, Center for the Arts at the Fay and Milton Wong Theater. That's only like 25 bucks. So it's a big show today. Um, we talked about the Persistence of Vision Festival, Aida, Voyage at Sea, and ISM had some books, and we gave away some Comic-Con tickets. So that was... Uh, a lot of fun and next week I know you're already excited about next week but you're going to have to wait um, we have a little bit of the Doxa Documentary Film Festival we will be starting two weeks of coverage with interviews and reviews we'll be talking about International Dance Day as I mentioned and coincidentally I didn't actually plan this but uh, the Vancouver International Burlesque Fest is coming up um, I really love this community I'm involved in this community and uh, we are going to have two amazing performances uh, Burgundy Bricks and April Appeal, who are part of the festival, come on and talk a little bit about burlesque. So anyone who is curious about what the heck burlesque is, is it just stripping? No. No. Um, I mean, that's part of it, and it's uh, a pretty fun part, but it's a lot more. And so come in and uh, listen and check it out. And we'll also talk a little bit uh, more about books because I can't get enough. All right. Well, it was very nice uh, to speak to you guys again this week. I will be back uh, next week on the Arts Report once again. Thank you to Ty Funk, uh, talking about the POV. Crazy Smooth for ISM, Adam Yanush, and Mlada um, Coldly. I will never pronounce that right. I really apologize. I should have asked. Sarah Lapsley and Kate Rimmer. I've been Megan Thomas. You've been.